Gender. Body acceptance. Abortion. Sex. Racial justice. Feminism. Birth. Parenthood. Stigma. Bodily autonomy. And more. This is Reproductive Left by Mabel Wadsworth Center, an independent, feminist, nonprofit, comprehensive healthcare provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here are your hosts, Catherine or Kat Chevery. Kat uses she, her pronouns and is our office assistant and community organizer. And Aspen Ruin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. So we're back and I'm interviewing Aspen Ruin um, and we are just discussing uh, ways to include your trans friends and family and just be considerate of them in your just basic interactions. Um, So it got me thinking about like initially coming out to friends and family. And I thought one subject we could broach is how to shift using gendered terms for your loved ones. Um, So like obviously an individual changing their gender in a binary way, like we'll say male to female, um, that person's parents should refer to her as my daughter rather than my son. but for someone proclaiming their non-binary identity, asking like, do you have any suggestions of proper use of relationship titles um, other than ones that are not inherently gendered in our language? We know easy enough for someone's father to say my child uh, or someone whose grandparent is maybe changing their gender, my grandparent, my cousin, my sibling. So those are easy enough to just kind of switch, but like, I'm thinking about like niece, nephew, aunt, uncle. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I think that, um, you know, the majority of trans folks who have a more binary identity, like being a trans man or being a trans woman, um, it's usually pretty safe to assume that, you know, the example that you gave, like a trans woman, you would, if, if that's your child, you would call her your daughter. Um, But I think even with binary trans people, it's still good to check in with them when they come out because it also might be an issue of like, they might not have come out to everyone yet or they might only plan to come out to some people. Uh, And if that's the case, you know, they're probably going to like tell you that anyways, but it's good, you know, never hurts to double check. Um, Because I know, for example, some like trans folks who like, opt to not come out to their grandparents because they know that their grandparents aren't going to take it well. And like for them personally, like they are okay with not being out to their grandparents. Uh, I think that this is a really good time to point out that the only person who can decide if they want to be out, how they want to be out, how many people they want to be out to is the individual in question. Um, I feel like our culture, you know, in in an effort to really support queer people and have visibility for queer and trans people, there's been this push to come out, just come out of the closet no matter what. And that's not always a safe thing to do. Uh, there's also this idea that, like, you have to come out. You're not a real trans person. You're not a real 
lesbian. You're not a real bi person if you don't come out. Um, and none of that is true either. So I also just want to emphasize here that, you know, you don't have to come out unless you want to, and you think it would benefit you and don't pressure people into coming out. Um, again, I emphasize that because you might run into situations where a loved one comes out to you and they're like, Hey, I'm not coming out to person we both know. In those situations, then you would talk to them about what language to use. Because in those situations, if they don't feel safe being out to that person, then when you're talking to that person about them, then you would essentially be misgendering your trans loved one, but it would be at their request. And that's what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes though, like you said, to like, what are good ways to, to use relationship titles? Um, you know, you mentioned the, the really obvious examples of like a child, grandparent, cousin, sibling. Um, see, they're obvious to you because you care. Uh, a lot of people, those aren't obvious to, um, or so it seems. Uh, I think that sometimes, you know, people get very caught up in the language that they're used to referring to someone as. And sometimes people have a hard time with change, uh, not necessarily because it's actually hard to change that language. I think a lot of the time it comes from a place of people just don't have enough confidence in themselves um, to change the language they use. And it's a lot easier than most people give themselves credit for. So yeah, saying like, instead of saying daughter, instead of saying son, saying child, that can also be a good option for a binary trans person who isn't out to everyone yet. So that way you can refer to them without misgendering them. So like, let's pretend I have a kid for a second. Um, <laughs> and my kid happens to be a trans girl. And she tells me that like, you know what, like I don't want to be out to, I'm going to make up a family member that I don't have. I don't want to be out to uncle Timmy because I love him, but I'm worried that he wouldn't accept me. Um, I was going to say uncle Timmy as an imaginary relative. So that's really funny that you, anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. Please go on. <laughs> um, you know, like my imaginary daughter says that about her imaginary uncle. Well, let's say I'm talking to the imaginary uncle Timmy and he's like, oh, how is uh, so-and-so? And like, you know, dead name's my kid, but like, he doesn't know that. And I'm just like, oh, like, you know how my kid is always uh, up to trouble. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, or, you know, something like that. Like, it can be really easy to switch to gender neutral language mm -hmm. if you think about it. Now, where it wouldn't be appropriate is to like deliberately use gender neutral language for someone who has said like, oh, like I identify with these gendered terms. So like if let's say, um, I'm gonna make up another family member. Let's say I have a, a brother who is trans, like a brother who has come out to trans, come out as trans to me. And let's say like he's out to everyone and he's like, yeah, my name is Kyle now. Um, like I use he, him pronouns, like I'm your brother, call me your brother. And if I like refuse to refer to him as my brother and I just call him my sibling, like that would be very rude of me. That would be basically me going out of my way to misgender him 
by using gender neutral language because I'm refusing to use the language that honors him. Mm -hmm. Comes to alternatives to more gendered terms like, you know, niece and nephew and aunt and uncle, um, and also like mom and dad, the way to approach that is going to totally depend on what language that person finds affirming. So if someone comes out to you, uh, you know, maybe as non-binary or somewhere under the non-binary umbrella, you could ask them what kind of language they want, Uh, which again is also good to do for binary people, even though like probably you'd guess it right. So like niece and nephew, there is an actual gender neutral term to refer to nieces and nephews. It is nibbling because you know how we have the word sibling nibbling. I love this word. I'm sorry. I just, I I had to ask you this because I learned about nibbling. It's such a cute sound. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Um, But it's just, it's like sibling, but with an N because niece and nephew both start with an N. Um, So that is an option. Like I have three nibblings. Um, So that takes care of that. Aunt and uncle don't really have, so technically they do have, like someone has created a word Reminder, all words are made up. Every single word I'm saying is made up right now. So don't come at me for telling you a made up word because that's all of them. Uh, But a more recently created word uh, for aunt and uncle would be pibbling, like parent, sibling. It is not as cute sounding of a word as nibbling, but it's still a good word. Um, Now, someone you know, they don't have to use these gender neutral options. They can come up with something else. You know, Mm -hmm. there's like a lot of people, like in my family, I call a lot of my aunts and uncles just like by their name. I describe them as my aunt or my uncle, but if they wanted like a different term, then we would just talk about what term honors them more. Um, you know, there's also just coming up with like nickname it, you know, for example, uh, one of my grandmothers, her nickname for what we call her is Gingy because my older sister, when she first started to speak, couldn't say Grammy correctly. Cause she was like one. Um, and Gingy is not a like gendered word. Cause it's not a real word. It's just a name we made up. Um, you know, kind of making up a little nickname like that is always an option. And, you know, some people who might be under the non-binary umbrella might still be fine with more gendered terms. You know, my nibblings, my niece and nephews, uh, call me auntie. A large part of that is because my oldest nibbling was born before I figured out that I was trans. Um, So thinking that I was a cis woman, I just went by auntie. The reason that I haven't made any move to change that is because to me, that term isn't really connected to gender when it's in reference to myself. Like to me, it's just an honorific that these lovely children that I adore call me and that's fine with me. You know, not everyone is going to feel the same way. So that's where checking in and really asking like, hey, do you have thoughts on what kind of words you want used for you is really important. And um, so thank you for that explanation. The really quick side notes. I just want to clarify when um, 
I think you could hear in my voice, my reaction to Pibbling was a little taken mm-hmm. aback because it, you're right, it's not as cute sounding, but I mean, it is, it was just like a, I'm just not familiar with that. So I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn something new. Um, Also, I was chuckling a little bit back there when we did the scenario with you with a child, because (laughs) I know you well enough to know, like, you are, like, staunchly child-free, and that's awesome. So just, like, the thought of you saying, like, my kid. Also, um, so I guess, like, I do appreciate you also bringing up the fact that, like, it really should be context dependent, like pronouns you're using for a person. And I guess that's probably coming to light as like my own cis privilege, just not even thinking about like, there are some situations where my pronouns would have to be different to protect my safety, which is something I don't think we would even like cis people consider enough. Um, It's just like existing as a trans person is not inherently safe, which is just really it's, it's terrible and it's really unfortunate. And I feel like, you know, having conversations like this is a way to like make strides towards changing that. But, um, so thanks for like checking me. Cause I, I wouldn't have even considered that if we didn't have that discussion. Um, and then also, I don't know if you, are there any honorifics that exist apart from Mr. Mrs. Or Ms. Yeah. Um, I think honorifics are really interesting. Um, I'm honestly like not the biggest fan of them depending on the setting and like what they're being used for. Like I know from a friend who does data entry work that they are a nightmare for data entry people. So like uh, forms like for your bank shouldn't have them because you're just making, it's just making more work for the people who work at the bank. Um, Same with like your insurance company paperwork or whatever. We don't need it there. Um, as far as what gender neutral honorific exists, I mean, doctor, obviously, but like, we don't all have doctorates. I have filled out forms before where it was like required to select an honorific. And I'm like, well, I don't want to misgender myself. So I'm a doctor today, I guess. Um, and that's how I can tell certain emails that I get. Um, if they had a form that requires, you to select an honorific and didn't have gender neutral options because it'll say, dear Dr. Rulin. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you aren't inclusive. <laughs> um, but aside from doctor or like reverend or rabbi, um, a good honorific that's neutral is mix, which is MX period. Um, I really like it. Uh, I think it's cool, but I also think that it is important to look at, you know, the most commonly used honorifics, the gender differences between them, and why those exist. Because the most common are Mr., Mrs., Miss, and Ms. And you'll notice that we have one for men, and three for women. (laughs) And the three for women are predominantly used to denote marriage status. Mm -hmm. And that is um, not, not very cool in my book. Like if, you know, someone is like a woman gets married and she's really excited about it and she's really excited to have that prefix of Mrs., good for her. I'm happy for her because she's happy. And like, that's what matters. Uh, what the problem is for me is why do we have a prefix for women 
or why do the prefixes for women denote marital status but the one the one i almost said ones but the singular one for men doesn't um and i think that you know brings up some problematic things about you know in our society traditionally and to a certain degree today uh you know women get treated as men's property. I don't know if this is the actual linguistic history of it because I have not had a chance to look it up, but you know, Mrs. is certainly spelled as if it was Mr's, like the property of her husband. Um, and again, that may not be the actual uh, linguistic root of that, but I can't help but think of it when I- I've been told by an English teacher that is the origin of that. I mean, I could be, they could be wrong as well, but- Well, sometimes I, English makes teachers sense. lie, which I think we're getting into in the next question. We will. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I honestly think I'd heard that from an English teacher too, so it could be real. And again, whether or not that is the actual linguistic history, that is at least somewhat how- how that has functioned because that title exists to denote her legal attachment to a man. Um, and again, this is not me saying like, women don't get married if you want to get married. Uh, cause then you're bad. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, I just think the way that gendered prefixes exist in the English language is kind of messed up. But yeah, no, it's cool. I agree with you. And um, language is like, you're just, I feel like it's so fun to talk with you about language because yeah. um, I actually read, a, a, this was like a few years ago, but I remember reading um, kind of how misogyny is apparent just from our, from Eng, like the English language, mm-hmm. like mankind is like the default human is always male. Um, like mm-hmm. man refers to all humans. So that reminded me, we were going to talk about English teachers. So early on in my time at the center, I remember you gave me this really like fascinating lesson on how the use of they, them to refer to individuals has existed um, longer in the English language than the use of singular you. And I've had like, I've had people say like on the basis of, oh, for the sake of grammar, because grammar is this holy concept. um, Mm -hmm. We need to like, they them is just so confusing and it doesn't make sense grammatically so what do you have to say to the pedantic english teachers who might try to use like this argument in the name of proper grammar as an excuse to just misgender people blatantly well the first is that it's not actually in defense of proper grammar if we want to get into it and the second is that what is proper english grammar is constantly changing um i'll address the first point first so like you mentioned i talked to you that time about how singular they has been in use in the english language longer than the singular you so as you know uh you can be singular or it can be plural so for example um, I could say, hey, cat, you have a spider on you. Sorry, that's all I could think of. Uh, or I could be at the office and say, hey, everyone, I just want you to know that there are donuts in the break room. Um, I used both in both situations and, you know, you was correct for both. One case it was singular, one case it was plural. Like I mentioned, singular they has been in use in English 
longer than singular you. It has been used by Chaucer, by Dickens, by Dickinson, by Shakespeare, by Jane Austen, by just so many huge names in English literature. Now, the reason that we are often taught in school by our English teachers that singular they is grammatically incorrect is because here in the U.S. in the mid to late 1800s, there was this guy who decided that he was going to write the book that was the authority on American English grammar. Now, no one gave him permission to write this book. It's important to know that the English language does not have like an organization or a body or an authority that decides what is and isn't correct English. In linguistics, English is functionally a descriptive language, which means that the way that is correct to use it is the way that the language is used. It's recognizing that language changes and grows. Some languages do have an authority that decides what is and isn't correct within that language. Uh, French is an example with l'Académie de Français. That is a more prescriptive linguistic approach, meaning that what is correct is what is decided upon by an authority. Uh, because English is functionally a descriptive language, it means that we have change happen a lot more than you might see officially recognized with French. Back to this dude. So he decided he was going to write the book that was the authority on American English grammar. Again, he just decided that he was very important. One of the things that he insisted in this book was that we do not need singular they because if you are talking about someone and you don't know their gender, you can assume that that person is a man because it's only men who do things. So not only is the idea of singular they being grammatically incorrect, incorrect, it's also rooted in vintage misogyny. Uh, so obviously I've touched on a few reasons for, you know, in defense of singular they, you know, it's been in use for a very long time. The idea that it's grammatically incorrect really hasn't been around for that long. And the reasoning behind that was super misogynistic. Another reason in defense of singular they is that you already use singular they, like all the time. Uh, you know, a very reasonable conversation to expect between Kat and I could be, you know, I might be like, oh yeah, like a friend texted me earlier uh, and said a really funny joke. And Kat might be like, oh, what did they say? And we would not blink at that. You know, if I was out in public somewhere and I found a phone on a park bench, I might say, oh my gosh, someone forgot their phone. I hope they come back for it. Gosh, how are they going to find it? In those circumstances, we do not question the use of singular they. We don't have a hard time with it. We don't struggle with it. We don't even blink at it. It is most often when discussing using singular they for trans people who use those pronouns that all of a sudden it becomes so difficult to use. The issue is not that it's difficult to use. 
unless like English is your second language, then you get a pass because English is a nightmare as a second language <laughs> and as a first language, honestly, but that's a different topic. Um, but you know, chances are you are already using singular they all the time and people who insist that it's just too hard to use for a singular individual it's not that they lack the skills it's that they a don't have confidence in themselves to do something that they already do all the time because they don't realize they're doing it and b it's the transphobia that we are all socialized into. You know, we are very much socialized into not valuing trans people and, and their needs. You know, I can think of so many examples with names, for example, uh, where, you know, a trans person changes their name. Like in my case, being like, hey, like I'm Aspen now. And knowing people who refuse to call me by that chosen name, but you could have someone who he, you know, all through his childhood, everyone calls him Jimmy. And then once he goes to college, he's like, you know what? I don't want to go by Jimmy anymore. Like I want to go by James now. Jimmy sounds too childish and everyone switches over to James without question. Uh, so I think that's something that's really important to ask yourselves. You know, if you are having a hard time switching pronouns for someone particularly to singular they them is it because it's actually that hard because it's not that it's grammatically incorrect and it's probably something that you're already doing even if you're not consciously being transphobic it could very well be some some silent transphobia inside of you that you just haven't recognized yeah, that's totally like an imagine. I feel like that argument is super made up. Like I, since we've had that conversation, I've found myself, I mean, like con being cognizant of this, but I'm like, I'm using singular day like all the time. Like I think, yeah. I don't think anyone even thinks about how often we do it. And it's, I personally find it's very easy, but like, um, we're going to just take a pause here for a minute and just do another Mabel's fast fact with Abby. And we will be back in just a sec. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. It's important to remember that while one in five people will experience a mental illness during their lifetime, everyone faces challenges in life that can impact their mental health. There are many tools you can use to improve your mental health and increase resiliency. Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org. And um, I wanted to ask Aspen about the term dead name because I've had a few people ask me what this term means. And it's something um, I have encountered before, but I would like Aspen um, to just kind of talk about maybe the history of the, the term, what it means, and um, any suggestions for people who continue to unintentionally or intentionally use someone's dead name. Yeah, I will say I did a little bit of research on this one because while dead name is a term that I'm familiar with and I've used it before, I realized that I don't actually know the linguistic history of it, like why that is the term. I did a little bit of research and I couldn't, I wasn't able to like easily find a concrete answer because like I don't have access to the Oxford English Dictionary anymore. I don't know if, because the OED has like full like linguistic history of like every word that's in it. I don't even know if they have dead name in it. Um, 
but so a, what a dead name is, is it's, that's typically the word used to refer to a trans person's old name if they have changed their name. Uh, I think it's really important here to point out, I know plenty of trans people who don't change their name and who don't view their name of origin or their original name as a dead name. And that's fine. It's also fine for the people who do view their original name as their dead name. Um, I just think that that is a really good distinction to point out and changing or not changing your name uh, does not make someone more or less trans uh, than anyone else. So just to get that out of the way. Uh, so I, I think there's kind of like two thoughts on what spawned the phrase dead name. Um, the first being that a lot of the time, you know, the name that we are given when we are born or, you know, that name of origin, that is often referred to as a birth name. Um, the opposite of birth is death, dead name, bam. Uh, because, you know, for a lot of trans people, they may not legally change their name because that can be an expensive process. Um, so a lot of trans people, you know, they have their tr chosen name, which I consider, and you should as well, consider to be their real name. Um, but that may be different from what their legal name is. And even for those who have changed their legal name, you know, some people will unfortunately be very nosy and frankly rude and try to insist on knowing what someone's quote unquote birth name is. Uh, so that's one thought on where the phrase dead name comes from is sort of a play on that. And then uh, the other, which is a bit sadder, is that unfortunately, when a trans person dies, um, it is not uncommon for them to, to be dead named. Uh, as, you know, listeners may know, you know, murders of trans people, particularly murders of black trans women and other trans women of color are a huge issue. It is unfortunately very common for our community and particularly, again, black trans women and other trans women of color to face that violence. And when when those murders are reported on, it is very common. It's gotten better in recent years, but it is still a huge issue of the media sharing a trans person old trans person's old name, dead naming them and misgendering them. Um, you know, that comes up in reports of murders of trans people, but it also comes up a lot of the time any trans person is in the news. I have to say that is one thing that has been really cool to see with Elliot Page coming out. Um, as you may know, Elliot Page, the star of Juno and the Umbrella Academy came out as trans and uses he and they pronouns. And all of the articles that I saw did not misgender and did not dead name him. They just were like, oh yeah, Elliot Page, star of Juno. And then just had a picture because, like, we all remember Juno. It was a great movie. Um, you know, so, like, that was a really good way to handle that. And that is not the norm for trans people being talked about. You know, normally they would be like, oh, dead name, now asking to be called Elliot. Um, but then not actually calling him Elliot. Uh, so, I mean, that, you know, the question about, like, you know, what suggestions do we have for 
people who use someone's dead name. Um, more news outlets, more news reporters need to treat all trans people the way Elliot Page coming out has been treated as far, again, I'm sure that there are some newspapers that did dead name him and they can fight me. Um, but like I said, the majority of, of the stories I saw did not dead name him. So only using a trans person's chosen name is something hugely important for for media to do. As far as talking about just like normal people, not media outlets, uh, if you are someone who like you have a trans loved one who has come out to you and you are struggling to use their new name, practice. Um, I think it's important to remember a couple of things. This is still the person that you have always loved. Uh, for some reason, a lot of people, if someone comes out as trans, basically act like the person they knew died and this is a new person. Um, that makes me uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. If a trans person is comfortable with it being treated like that for their case, because, you know, maybe for them, they see it as like a starting over in my new identity. And if they are okay with that, then that's fine. Um, but I find where a lot of of cis people sometimes have a hard time with unintentionally dead naming a trans loved one is that they are attaching that old name to this person they love like really aggressively. And, you know, names can be seen as gifts from our parents, but maybe think of it not just as any gift, think of it like a jacket. You know, if my mom gifts me a jacket, it might be a really nice coat, but if it's three sizes too small, it it just doesn't fit. And so maybe I need to get a new one. Um, and that's fine. So if you are genuinely unintentionally dead naming someone, you know, just practice, do practice sentences, you know, like someone who loves me could be like, oh, I talked to Aspen yesterday. It was really nice to hear from them. Um, I'm going to get Aspen a KitchenAid stand mixer for Christmas. Let me live my dreams. Uh, <laughs> I really want the one in blue, but that's a different topic. Um, if anyone that knows Aspen well is listening, just keep this in mind. <laughs> but like, wait, because I don't actually have room for a stand mixer. <laughs> Anyways, um, now if you are intentionally dead naming someone, stop it. Stop it. You are, all you are doing is saying that you are a jerk. Um, you know, I've had some people talk to me and be like, well, you know, my trans, my kid who has come out to me as trans is so young and I'm worried that they're going to change their mind. And it's like, okay, most people who question their gender end up not being cis uh, because that's just something most cis people don't do. Occasionally it does happen. So let's say this trans person that you love and who loves you has come out to you and it turns out that at some point down the road, they realize, oh wait, I'm actually not trans. If you supported them and you used the chosen name for them that they had asked you to use, all you did was show them that you love them and that you trust them, and that you are a safe person for them to go to. If it turns out that you, if you didn't support them, 
and you were like, nope, I'm not calling you by your chosen name. I'm not calling you by your chosen pronouns, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that they end up being cis. That's not like an I told you so moment for, for you. All you showed them was, wow, this person doesn't support me. This person does not listen to and trust me. And frankly, if it turns out that they are actually cis, it'll probably be harder for them to figure that out because they'll be like, well, is it actually that I'm not trans or is it that this person's lack of support for me is getting into my head? So supporting someone who has come out to you as trans is a win-win whether or not they end up being correct about it. And not supporting a loved one who has come out to you as trans is a lose-lose, where no matter what happens, all you did was show that you, you can't be trusted. And now we'll hear from Abby with another one of our Mabel's Fast Facts. In addition to offering mental health counseling at Mabel Wadsworth Center, we've created a list of online and local support groups. Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org. And to just take that stance on the like basis, well, maybe they're wrong, is just like not conducive to any sort of like healthy or trusting relationship. Um, So I I really appreciate you talking to me for these past um, two sessions for our show. Um, I just wanted to like kind of wrap up with um, if there's anything like I, I would say that after talking to you, a major takeaway from like our discussions is really like um, a lot of like a lot of the interactions and like language you're going to have with your trans loved one is really personal and it's mm-hmm. context dependent and it's really situational. It sounds like. Um, and I think the best thing is to just be, receptive to listening and learning and to be patient with yourself for like, you know, we all make mistakes. Sometimes maybe words don't work for us. Like they are not for me most of the time right now. (laughs) Um, Just, uh, you know, we're allowed to be forgetful, but I think it's important to really commit to learning someone's um, preferred pronouns and name. And really it's not once you try put in a minimal effort. Exactly. I think most people can do this. <laughs> right. And like you said, you know, mistakes are normal. Mistakes are the human condition. But I would say it's the difference between like, you know, my mom accidentally calling me by my sister's name or like, does she like, you know, we all do that. I accidentally have called my partner by the cat's name before. But, I was about to say my dad's called me the cat's name. And right? It's fine, but. <laughs> my mom has called me the cat's name. Um, but like, okay, like with that example, like is my mom not ever calling me the right name? That's where the issue is. Or is my mom calling me a name that I have expressed is hurtful? Also, one thing I want to bring up real quick. Now, you will hear the phrase preferred pronouns a lot. It is really common. Um, It's not a term that I particularly use because it's not that it's necessarily like grammatically incorrect, but just the way that most people relate to the word prefer, you know, something being a preference is typically seen as being optional. Uh, So Mm. like, it's like, oh, Aspen, like, do you want chocolate or vanilla ice cream? I might say, oh, I'd prefer chocolate, which implies but vanilla will do if you, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's good to remember that, you know, tr- 
trans people's pronouns aren't like a preference that's optional. It's just like a thing you need to use. I think the phrase preferred pronouns can get really handy for if you have someone who uses like more than one set. Um, but that's just like a little nitpicky thing I like to bring up because I mean, I think it's a really, you know, how prevalent that is of a phrase. It's very common to see. I know we still have some materials at the center that have that because for a while that was like the most common mm. way to describe pronouns. Um, you know, there's always learning for everyone to do. And I think it also really looks at how an issue that we all need to work on is to stop seeing cisness being cis as, as the default, you know, in general, the way that pronouns get talked about is cis people just get to have pronouns while trans people have preferred pronouns. Mm. And it's not something that people tend to do consciously, but it is something that I know I've run into. And I think it's just a great example of, you know, really thinking about why do I use the language that I use? Because it's not something that we tend to put a lot of thought into because it's just, you know, it's just a part of living. You just, you say words. How do you feel about like, um, cause I actually working at the front desk, I do a lot of like first time HRT new patient, um, someone seeking like, so for people who don't know what that means, um, it might be like, a teenager, a young adult, or maybe someone in, you know, in their fifties or sixties, but it's their first time really like seeking healthcare that, um, helps them actualize like their, the gender that they are. Um, it's like gender affirming, affirming hormone therapy and our forms when we do a medical history have that terminology preferred pronouns. I wonder if we could like change that to true pronouns or something. Yeah, I actually, I, I made those forms first off. (laughs) Oh, good to know. <laughs> take form. And then I asked, I actually forgot to put pronouns on it initially. And then I decided to put the phrase preferred pronouns because I was like, well, I don't consider them preferred pronouns, but for someone who they're coming here for their first time for gender affirming hormone care, saying preferred pronouns will be easier for them to understand what I mean than saying chosen pronouns. Mm -hmm. They might be a little bit confused, whereas preferred pronouns is a phrase that they will probably have heard before. And even if they haven't heard it, they may understand what it means more. So that's also a good example that, you know, what is and isn't the correct language, just like it's about checking in with people about like, do you want to be referred to as my son or my daughter or just my child? Like, it's not just that. It's also recognizing that, you know, sometimes the language we choose might just be about like, okay, what is this person most likely to understand? Even if, you know, like I don't call my pronouns preferred pronouns because they're not preferred because they're not optional. But I also know that to someone who's new to this, like, cause if I just put the phrase pronouns and you know, they don't, they haven't seen us before. They aren't familiar with like our approach to like, you know, actually honoring who people are. They might think they have to put the pronouns with their assigned gender at birth. Um, so yeah, thank you for bringing that up about the forms because that's just a good example that, uh, you know, sometimes you might use like, more imperfect language because it's more familiar to people. Right. 
And I think it's like, it's definitely appropriate when the intent behind it is, is helpful rather than malicious. Um, so I guess we're going to end here for this segment. I'm sure this, this is a topic again, I think we're going to explore in later episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you again, Aspen, for taking the time to really like just unpack a lot of this stuff. I know it's emotionally kind of, it can be laborious, but I really appreciate you. And um, I've learned a lot again today. So thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking. Have a good one and see you all next time for Reproductive Left.